There are times that the darkness in the world seems too much to bear. It can leave us worried, uh, worried for our own selves, uh, worried for future generations. You know, the news reports tell uh, often dark and disturbing things. And, and sometimes it's almost gotten so familiar that there is that kind of initial shock, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. But then we almost always just slip back into normal life because it's become so common sometimes in our world. It's too familiar. Of course, some of you, it's not just uh, the news reports right, uh, that, that show you the darkness in the world. Some of you have jobs that are confronting the darkness in the world and you see it firsthand and the effects of it uh, regularly in your work. Some of you in your own lives have experienced horrific things and experienced darkness that you should have never experienced in your homes, in your lives, in your jobs, and some days it seems like the darkness is winning. Our text today reminds us that Jesus is the light that overcomes darkness. Turn with me to Luke 8 as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. I've titled today's sermon, The Light That Overcomes Darkness. I'm going to read the text for us, uh, Luke 8, 26-39, and then I'll pray for us. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in the house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to banish them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how excuse me, how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people from the Gerasen region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. 
But he sent him away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. God, your word is good and true. And as we confess it each week, uh, we ask you again to, to work in us. Open our hearts, open our minds to the truth that we will see today in your word and shape us by it. Uh, remind us again of the beauty of our Savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First thing I want us to see from this text is that Jesus has all authority over evil. Jesus has authority over all evil. Uh, So this is good news for us when we see the darkness in this world to know that Jesus has authority over all evil. Let's look back at these first uh, verses from Luke 8, starting in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to banish him into the abyss. So if you were here last week, we looked at Jesus calming the storm, right? He, he and his disciples got in the boat. He told them, let's cross over to the other side. And the storm came up and uh, the disciples were convinced that they were about to die. And Jesus calmed the storm. And so this picks up on the next day. They finished sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And they enter into a predominantly Gentile territory, the Gerasenes. And so Jesus gets out onto the land from the boat, and we have the confrontation with a demon-possessed man. Now, there, uh, we've seen this before in the Gospel of Luke. Luke has recorded uh, Jesus having authority over demons or unclean spirits. So why, uh, why is he telling another story? Uh, this story is unique. Uh, this story, one, is in Gentile territory. Uh, so not only did Jesus come to bring the light to the Jews, he brought light to the entire world. And so he's going into Gentile territory and taking light and pushing back the darkness, confronting the darkness. In addition to that, we see in just a moment that there is not just one unclean spirit or one demon in this man but many. So the man who is possessed uh, is 
his life has been taken from him. He's completely under the control of the evil spirit. He walks around fully nude. No dignity any longer. No true life. He actually spends his days in the graveyard. Spends his days among the tombs where the dead are. One of the other Gospel accounts, I believe it's Mark, talks about how he even oftentimes would take the sharp rocks and cut himself because of the torment that he was in. And so, there's this confrontation between the demon-possessed man and Jesus as soon as they arrive. And he recognizes Jesus. What do you want from me? What do you want to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. The demons recognize Jesus for who He is. Now, the calling Him by name likely is connected to, and I think we said this the last time uh, that we looked at one of these uh, passages, is likely in an attempt to, by, by speaking His name, hopefully gaining some type of control. Maybe He would be able to control something from the response of Jesus by speaking His name. And so He bows down and pleads with Jesus and says, please don't torment me. So as the passage goes on, the stage is set, right, for the conflict between Jesus and evil, between light and darkness. And the question is, well, who has the real power here? Who has the real authority here? The man under the control of the demons, the demons exhibit extreme power. Although he's been chained and shackled and guarded, he has this extreme power when the demon wants to show that and he breaks the chains and the shackles. So we know that the man is extremely powerful and Jesus asks his name and we learn that he's not just one demon, but there are many demons who have entered this man. He says his name is Legion. In the Roman military, Legion is a a group of thousands of soldiers. We don't have an exact number of evil spirits that were in this man, but the idea is set that there is thousands of evil soldiers going against the Savior, Jesus, who is going to win in this confrontation. Daryl Bach in his commentary says concerning this, Jesus is outnumbered, but He is in no way overmatched. Right? He, he may be outnumbered, but He is not overmatched. And the demons beg Him, And that's proof that he's not overmatched. We know who has the real authority already before we even see what Jesus does. Because what do they do when he comes into their presence? They bow. They bow down in the presence of Jesus and they plead to not be tormented by him. And so they beg him not to send them into the abyss That's likely a reference to the place of judgment, a place of destruction that is awaiting all who are evil. 
And so they recognize Jesus is the one with the power. Jesus is the one with the authority here. And the thing about this miracle is it's just a foretaste. This is, uh, this is where we have some hope when we think about the darkness of this world. This is just a foretaste of what's to come because God's Word promises us that one day Jesus will return and He will destroy all evil, right? So we see passages that talk about this, about His return throughout the New Testament. But the book of Revelation, which is a book of hope, it used to terrify me uh, when I was a kid. It terrified me, some of the stuff in there. Uh, but I've learned it really is a beautiful book about the hope that we have because Jesus is going to be victorious. And so Revelation 19, verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name on his robe and on his thigh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the passage goes on to talk about when Christ returns, that the beast will be defeated, that Satan will be bound, and that one day Satan and death will be cast into the lake of fire and all who are evil will be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus will be victorious because he has all he has authority over all evil. One day we can hold on to that when days feel really dark that Jesus is going to put an end to it all. One time I was in a store and I saw a print of uh Jesus and Satan. And I think the artist was was trying to get at something with this, but the the print had it wrong because the print had Jesus and Satan in an arm wrestling match. Uh, it was very hokey, but uh, Jesus and Satan locked arm in arm, uh, and there's this struggle. They're both straining. They're both struggling against one of each one another, and you almost get this sense of like, well, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Like, I, I hope Jesus is strong enough is almost what was behind it. And we don't have to wonder that. Look at the response of the legion of demons in the presence of the Savior. They bowed down to Him. He has all authority. And the only power that Satan has, and the only power that evil has in this world is what Jesus allows for a purpose. But one day, He will destroy it all. 
And so we can hold on to that, church. Let's recognize that Jesus is all-powerful. The Gospel is pointing us to that. Jesus is all-powerful. He has authority over all evil. And so when we see the evil of this world, when it causes us to fear, or when we're experiencing it ourselves, we can hold on to the promise that one day Jesus will come back and destroy it all. We don't have to wonder if that's going to happen. Our text today reminds us of who our Savior is. The second thing from Luke 8 is this. Jesus gives new life and restores dignity. Jesus gives new life and restores dignity. Let's start in verse 32, back in Luke 8. A large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So here in this, these verses, we see the contrast between what Jesus has come to do and what Satan has come to do. What Jesus does concerning life and what Satan's desire is. So the, the request for being sent into the pigs is one of those passages that there's lots of different interpretations about maybe it means this, maybe it means this. It seems like an odd request and why did Jesus uh, allow for this? Uh, what I don't want us to miss with those questions is to see the contrast between the presence of evil and the presence of our Savior because that's what we need to see here. What did the presence of evil provide? Death and destruction, right? The presence of these demons in the man's life had him stripped of all dignity and left him without any real life. When Jesus cast the demons out and they enter into the, the herd of pigs, what do the demons bring? Death and destruction. That's what Satan wants to do, is to destroy life. He takes away dignity. But we have the contrast of that in our Savior. So in verse 34 and 35, the news has spread. The, the herdsmen rush off into the town and they're telling everybody along on the countryside and in the town, we were watching the pigs and all of a sudden, the thousands of pigs just took off and dove off into the, the lake and drowned. And people gather. And what do they find? They find the man who had been demon-possessed, who had no real life, who had no dignity, who walked around fully nude amongst the tombs. They found him restored. They found him clothed and in his right mind, sitting at the feet of the Savior, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus brings life. 
Jesus restores dignity. That's what He's done with each one of us if we've put our faith in Him. The Gospel of John shows this contrast uh, between uh, what evil does but what Jesus came to do. John 10, verse 10, we see Jesus speaking these words, A thief comes in... I'm sorry... A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus came for that purpose, to give us our life back, to restore us to a new life, to restore us with dignity that we had. He made enemies become his friends. He made the orphan sons and daughters of God. And our passage today reminds us that we've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. We have new life in Jesus. We have restored dignity in Jesus. That's what He came to accomplish for everyone who would come to Him. We will experience these things. And because of Jesus, God now looks at us not as enemies, not as orphans, but He looks at us and says, that's my precious son. That's my beautiful daughter because of what Jesus accomplished. So church, let's walk in that new life that our Savior provides us. Let's walk in the, the restored dignity that He has given us. We don't have to carry around shame anymore for anything in our past. He's restored our dignity. Let's embrace that as we live. The third thing I want us to see from this text is this. Jesus commands us to tell others about what He has done. Jesus commands us to tell others about what He has done. So we're going to see these last few verses, two different responses to the Savior. Okay? So verses 36 through 39, back in Luke 8. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked Him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. So the first response we see uh, it says that the people were afraid. The people were gripped by fear. Now, this is not the kind of appropriate fear and awe, reverence and awe of God that all people should have. Uh, this was a fear that seems to be connected with, if He stays, what's it going to cost us? One of the other 
gospel accounts kind of highlights the, the concern about the economic impact, right? There were thousands of pigs. This was people's livelihoods that had been destroyed because of the demons. And so they ask Jesus to leave. They're afraid. And the, the fear is, if he stays, what's it going to require of us? And then we see the second response from the man who had the demons cast out from him. And that response is commitment. That response is a commitment to do what Jesus wants him to do. He wants to be with the Savior, and then he wants to obey the Savior. And so Jesus gets back in the boat, and the man begs him earnestly, please, like, let me go with you. I don't want to be away from you. He's recognized the the new life that he's been given, the new chance that he's been given because of Jesus, and he wants to stay with him. But remember what we said, what I said at the beginning. This is Gentile territory. Jesus and his disciples are about to go back into uh, back to Galilee. They're going to go back to Jewish territories. If this man comes with them, there's no one left to spread the good news in this Gentile area about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And so Jesus says, stay. Stay here. Go home. Not meaning His own house only. Like, go back to your city. Go back to your people and tell them what's happened. Tell them what what God has done for you. Let them know all that has happened for you. And this is an important thing for us to see here, right? Not everyone is called to go and be a missionary, go to the edges of the earth. There are plenty, and we should support missions work to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. We're called to support missions, but not every individual is called to go and be one of those missionaries. Many people are called to stay and be a missionary. That's what this man was told to do. Stay where you are and tell others about what God has done. And that's what he did. He was faithful to what Jesus Christ called him to do. The man who used to walk around fully nude, possessed by a legion of evil spirits, walking in the tombs, now becomes a faithful evangelist, telling everyone what Jesus had done. About the new life that he's been given because of Jesus Christ. And that's true for us. And what we need to start thinking about and seeing is that our lives, many of us, God is saying, stay right where you are and be faithful to tell others about what God has done. God strategically has placed us right where He has us. And He wants us to be used for the purpose of sharing the good news with others. The Psalms, like in the Psalms, we have several uh, accounts of the psalmist encouraging people to tell others 
about what God has done. Share what God has done for you. Share what God has done for His people. One of those, we see these words, Psalm 105, verse 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, proclaim His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praise to Him, tell about His wondrous works. Tell other people about what God has done. Tell other people about His wondrous works. The life of a child of God should be used to tell others about how good God is and what God has done and how He's been faithful to us in Jesus Christ. Now, we oftentimes feel inadequate with that, right? Uh, We feel inadequate sharing our faith with other people. Uh, I, don't, I may not have all the answers, right? I, I, I don't really know uh, all the Scripture verses. Like, I've learned them and I know them, but I don't know where to point to uh, certain verses about that. Or I may not be able to explain some of the deep theological things that someone may have. And so we feel inadequate about sharing our faith with others. This passage here, what happens with this man and what he's instructed to do, reminds us of a really helpful practice when it comes to sharing our faith. Tell others what God has done for you. Tell others. He doesn't say, like, go and explain soteriology, right? Go and explain the, the doctrine of justification. Uh, go and quote Scripture to these people. Just go tell people what God's done for you. And that's a really helpful thing for us. When we feel inadequate, I don't know if I, I have all the right words. I don't know if I have all the, the right explanations. Just tell people how faithful God has been to you. Now, we all have different stories, uh, but we have some similarities in the fact that we are all sinners and God loved us enough to send His Son to die for our sins so that if we would just come to Him and believe in Him, we would be forgiven and would be promised eternal life. And so let's start there, just saying, hey, I'm a sinner I've done, some, I've done some horrible things. I've done things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And I still sin to this day. But God loves me. God forgave me. He sent His Son for me. And He's done the same for you. We can start there. And of course, there's so much more that God has done for us, right? Countless ways that He's cared for us and been faithful to us. But let's start with just thinking about that. And so this week, let's encourage us all to kind of just ponder that reality. Kind of think about, if I was going to tell someone what God has done for me in Jesus Christ, just kind of think through what you would share about, I've done things that God doesn't want me to do, but He still loves me. And He sent Jesus for me. And let's pray for opportunities to do that with people in our lives. Church, no matter how dark the world may seem at times, we have a Savior that is the light that overcomes darkness. Let's remember that. 
uh, let's remember that Jesus has all authority. He has authority over all evil in this world. We don't have to be afraid. Let's remember that Jesus has given us new life. He has restored our dignity and given us a new identity in Him. And so we don't have to live in darkness and fear and shame anymore. And let's continue to share the good news with others about what He has done for us. For Him and for His glory, we can pursue these things. Let's pray. God, You are good and faithful. Forgive us for the times that we um, aren't good about sharing that with others. Give us boldness. Give us courage to just be open about how good You've been to each of us. And God, as we're reminded today about our Savior, I pray that as we uh, see the darkness in this world, experience darkness in this world, that we don't lose hope. Because we know that because of Jesus, uh, we don't have to be afraid. Because He has all authority. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.